is Greener Grass, a podcast. We are your hosts, Carrie Wee and Kelly McVeigh. And today we have Kathy Crosby Bell and Sarah Westman of the Last Call Foundation. It's in memory of fallen firefighter Michael Kennedy. The mission of the Last Call Foundation is to provide funding, education, and research to advance the safety needs of the firefighting community. They're committed to enhancing the ability of their dedicated firefighting professionals to effectively and safely fight fires and protect the public. We learned about this foundation through Kelly's dad, who's going to be running in the Boston Marathon for this foundation to raise money. And it is just heartbreaking and inspiring. And I learned so much. Kelly and I both learned so much by, by listening to these amazing women. So we're so excited to bring you this interview. Let's get started. So I am so excited to um, record this call tonight, an evening call. And I have two really amazing people that are a part of a really um, strong foundation in the memory of someone that's really important to both of them. And so tonight we're going to be talking with Kathy Crosby and Sarah Wiseman. Was did I say it right? Wesman. 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 And um, how I found these two amazing people is, um, you know, on Greener Grass, I talk about my dad a lot because he's so important to me and always inspiring me, but he is doing the Boston Marathon. Last year, my dad and I did the virtual Boston Marathon. And Sarah, I have to tell you, I walked like a lot of it, a lot of it. And, and the virtual is not the real thing. So I don't even know if I should really count it. But um, <laughs> my dad runs multiple marathons and he is just um, so inspiring to me. And so when he told me more about the Last Call Foundation and you, Sarah, and he's inspired by you and everything that you both are doing. I felt like it meant so much for me to have <laughs> so much for me to have you both on and kind of hear um, the story of how the last call foundation got started. And then, too, you know, I'm sure, you know, what you feel you want to talk about about Michael himself about, you know, your relationship with him and why you were led to starting the Last Call Foundation. So um, I, you guys can choose who talks when. I have both of you. Yeah. Kathy, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about Michael, um, his journey to becoming an amazing firefighter and how um, the tragedy that happened, but how this, the Last Call Foundation really became something to honor his memory and to make change and make a difference. Okay. So um, it's not hard to talk about Michael. We, um, we keep him alive through all of the stories we tell. He was really a funny character. Um, Michael um, was very outgoing and friendly and as a child mischievous and as a teenager in lots of trouble. Um, and um, he was he was um, determined, and he actually joined the Marines um, in 2001. I believe in August was when he went um, to boot camp, 
And then, of course, 9-11 happened. Um, he graduated from um, boot camp on, I believe it was one month following his birthday. No, it was his birthday, his 21st birthday. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah. It was his 21st birthday because I had a cake there for him at the graduation. Um, it was the only time he ever did exactly what I told him to do <laughs> because they had trained him so well. <laughs> um, he stood up and they were coming out to surprise him with the cake. And I said, Michael, sit down now. And he said, yes, ma'am. And he sat right down. And he had <laughs> never done that in his entire life <laughs> and never did again. Yeah. Um, but uh, he was... When when he left the Marines, he was determined to come back to Boston. He loved Boston, and um, and he served a tour in Iraq. Oh yes, he served a tour in Iraq. Um, he broke his leg while he was in the Marines. So a Marine, I feel like that takes a special person to become a Marine and do that. And being his mom, did you was that surprising to you that he joined the Marines? And did he go to Iraq after nine eleven? Yes. Okay. He was um, he, he was um, just determined that he was going to go. And, and of course he did. Um, he was scheduled to be deployed once before that, but he also rode motorcycles and he had a motorcycle accident on Mother's Day of all days, just before he was to be deployed and he was injured. So he couldn't go. He, uh, he made it to Iraq and thank God he made it home. And then um, decided to, to take the exam for Boston Fire, and he scored very well and um, joined the, the fire department and loved it. I mean, absolutely loved that job, um, as most of them do. It's something for a very physical type person, um, and they're constantly training and constantly learning new techniques. And um, it really... It's not a surprise to me. Uh, that he went from Marines, Iraq to the fire department, just because you're right, physical, but also heroes in their own sense. And ironically, I just went to the World Trade Center Memorial a couple weeks ago in New York City. And one of the things that was the most touching was pictures of the firefighters and the fire engines and seeing all of the things. So it just feels intertwined in the sense that I was just there and saw all of that and um, that he went to Iraq and then came back and joined the Boston fire department. He really was a gung ho firefighter and um, he loved it. Um, he called me after his very first fire. <laughs> I was horrified. It was like, Michael, these are not things you should be telling your mother. I imagine. Uh, yes. It, it was, please find somebody else to share this with. You can't share it with me um, because it was frightening. And I very quickly stopped watching the news and stopped. I did just did not want to know. Um, but, you know, after a while, you grow accustomed to it. And while Michael was alive, I... Uh, I'm ashamed to say I did not know a lot about the job. Um, I was resistant to him being in the military. I was resistant to him risking his life in the fire department. Um, and though I was always very proud of him, I, I have to say it was, I buried my head in the sand 
And it was only after Michael died and um, that all of the challenges that firefighters face on a daily basis that are totally unnecessary. And for the most part, because they're so poorly funded, uh, it was only then that, that they became apparent to me. And I would think that that is true about most people that we take for granted. I mean, we always take things for granted, but I'm sure that unless you're in a scenario or touched by it, you don't think about the challenges and the risk and the funding. Yeah, it, it, it was awful. When I tell you, I went to visit um, Michael's, well, so his first uh, firehouse was one of the newer ones. And so I visited him there and, you know, he terrified me by going, climbing up to the top of the tower ladder and all of that stuff. Um, and then when he was deployed um, in downtown on Boylston Street in one of the oldest in, in Boston proper, the oldest firehouse, um, I went to visit him there and I was horrified. The exterior of the building is gorgeous. It's really beautiful. Yeah, it's a really historical it, yeah, building. It's, it's architecturally just stunning. Um, and then you go inside and I mean, it's just tragic what these fellows have to work in. Um, and so after Michael died, the original thought that I had was there was this outpouring from everywhere. I mean, it wasn't, it, it wasn't limited to Boston or even Massachusetts. It was the entire country was sending us uh, cards and letters and tokens and funds, um, it, and, and it was like, okay, can we capture this? And, you know, they were sending it to the families, to myself and, and to the Walsh family. And um, because Ed Walsh was the father of three children. Um, he was the other firefighter who passed away with Michael. Right. He was the, the lieutenant. And um, they were trapped in a building, um, in a row house in Boston that um, had bars on the window. They were in the basement. There were bars on the basement window, which is illegal. There was no water to the back of the building. And the building was a, a store, a, a city block long. And so they had to bring hoses from around the corners um, to try to get to the back of the building. And meanwhile, Michael and Ed had gone in the front of the building and down the basement stairs because they were told that uh, there was a belief that there was a tenant in one of the basement apartments that needed help getting out. And at some point, somebody opened a door at the back of the building and caused a flashover. Now, this was, I believe, the apartment manager opened the door, which they should never do. Once a fire department is on the scene, you should never touch a thing. And when he opened the door, he fed oxygen to the flames and caused a flashover and some chemicals, mostly paints and paint thinners and years of accumulated chemicals were stored in a closet um, at the front stairs and it exploded and the hose was burned through. So Michael and Ed were stuck in the basement calling for water because they were, you know, the, the, their um, colleagues were outside pumping water into the building and they were getting nothing. And so they were calling for water for 10 to 15 minutes. And of course, 
they, they both perished in that fire. Um, and I was horrified because to that point, I did not know that fire hose is not fireproof. In fact, fire hose is mostly made of synthetics, which melt easily. Most fire hose that we've since had tested, we have a hose committee and we've had it tested and we've challenged the NFPA and we've gotten standards um, changed, all of that. Most fire hose within 12 inches of flame or a superheated piece of metal will fail in three minutes. That's mind-blowing. There are so many things, and not to get into the way of the world, but I feel like there are so many things that the world fights about or, you know, all the things that happen in communities and in politics that people fight over. And there are things like this that feel like should be such an easy, just slap in the face fix that like, why is that even a discussion or why is that even something that we're just learning? I mean, I know that this happened in 2014 and that is kind of what drove you to start the Last Call Foundation. But do you feel like there have been improvements since? Well, we forced the improvements. <laughs> that's what, that's, this is what I like to hear. This is what I like to hear. Yeah. Like. Um, so, so we challenged it. We uh, worked with the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms and did some testing with them. Then we hired um, Fire and Risk Alliance down in Maryland to do some research for us. We worked with, um, we're on our second hose manufacturer now who has taken pretty much what we conceptualized, but they got to it first. I have to, I have to admit they actually had their prototype before we did. And um, it's it's wonderful because it lasts. Um, we just did a recent test here in Boston, and it lasted for more than fifteen minutes. Right, yeah. um, so it, it's like four and five times longer than what is currently on the market. But of course, so much money and so many resources and time have gone into the R&D to get it just right because it has to meet all of the NFPA standards um, and it has to be light and usable. And there are so many um, specs that this has to meet. Um, and a lot of like materials that are fireproof cause cancer when they're burned. Right. Okay. Well, that's, that's um, those that are, um, treated with um, flame retardants. Flame retardants are um, typically like the flame retardant in your chair um, will prevent maybe 15 seconds, will give you 15 seconds longer. But when it burns, it's toxic and the gas that comes from it is it's poison. Right. Um, and most people don't know that. But uh, in any event, we are we are making strong headway with the fire hose, and that's um, really encouraging. And then one of the things that happened pretty immediately was um, we were asked if we would help a local um, um, volunteer group called the Boston Sparks Association. Um, they respond to any fires or any police activity. They responded to the marathon bombing and they provide um, respite for whomever, whether it's uh, fire departments, typically it is fire departments or police, FBI, whomever it is, they provide them with food, coffee, 
you know, they'll, they'll get them anything that they need. Um, for fire departments um, in the winter, they give them warming um, places to warm up. And they give them in the summer um, ice towels. They misting fans. Misting fans. They, they, they are wonderful. And it's all volunteer. But they were driving around in an old um, ambulance. And it just wasn't working. Uh, it was like a 25-year-old ambulance that was falling apart. And so we funded a new apparatus for them. And then the then commissioner, fire commissioner, said to me, you know, Kathy, you're doing a great job. And one thing I I want you to be aware of is, um, though Michael and Ed died in a fire, that's not the way most firefighters die. You know, most firefighters these days die of cancer because pretty much every fire is a hazmat situation because of our lifestyles. You think about it, all the plastics in our homes, all the vinyl, everything that burns, burns toxic. And they're exposed to all of these things. Um, and I, I mean, the cancer rate in Boston is astronomical um, for fire department, for firefighters. Um, so 66%, right? Yeah, 66% yeah, right. of, of Boston firefighters will get cancer over the course of their career. So I want to say two things, and I definitely want to come back to right where we are. So there's three of us. Hopefully we can remember that. One, Sarah, can you tell us your relationship just so everyone knows who the other voice is on here? Um, I mean, I can, I can say that it sounds like Michael was full of mischief, very adventurous, um, a ride or die guy. So I would love to hear, you know, a little bit of your connection and how you, how he came into your world. Um, he was my longtime boyfriend. He was the love of my life. Um, I met him when I was, I think 21 and I was, I was in college, um, Mass Amherst, and he was living in California in the Marines. And we met, um, but we were just friends, kept in touch. Um, and then when he moved home and got in the fire department, um, ironically, when he was in California, he reached out to me, let me know who's moving home and getting on the fire department. I said to him, that's too bad. And <laughs> I'll never be <laughs> Wow. Sadly, I said, that's too bad. He's like, why? And I was like, because I don't think it's going to work out with us. He's like, why not? And I said, I don't want to have to spend my life worried that you're going to catch on fire. And, um, but, you know, he moved home and I did work out with us. I'm sure as all things, like he was determined. Well, he was a wild, he was a wild boy. I mean, he, he had, he had times where he was all over the place, but, um, we always came back to each other and I was always there for him. He was always there for me. When the marathon bombing happened in 2013, he was a first responder at the bombing. Um, the bombing actually happened like a few blocks from the firehouse that he worked at. He worked right on Boylston street where the finish line of the marathon is. Um, so he was the first responder at the bombing and he helped a woman who ended up losing her leg, um, who actually is now married to the other firefighter who helped, um, who helped her, which is an amazing story. She wrote a book about it. Um, 
But anyway, so he 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 actually yeah. run the marathon um, twice before that. But so after the bombing, um, I had never run the Boston Marathon, but I always wanted to. And um, so I said, 2014 is my year. And I I got a bib and was raising money for the one fund um, to help the bombing victims. And Mike got his own bib um, through the fire department. So we were both supposed to run the marathon. Um, and but then the fire happened. Um, like three weeks before the marathon. So because the marathon so close to the fire, I kind of associate the two together and we were both supposed to run. Um, and it was really important because it was my first marathon. And actually the the last text he sent to me right before the fire, I had, I had just set up my fundraising page for the one fund and I sent it to him. And, and he said to me that, he wanted to run the marathon faster so he could watch me cross the finish line. Like I watched him cross the finish line. So the marathon was always important to me. Um, but it kind of became intertwined with his death. Um, so I just said that I wanted to run the marathon every year in his memory. Um, and, and then it just so happened that Kathy started a foundation. Um, <laughs> and now we have marathon bid. So bullied her way in because I kept thinking she's too young. We really shouldn't put this on her. She needs to be able to mourn and heal and um, begin anew. And um, she insisted she was going to be on the board. Oh, yeah. She didn't want me to be on the board. I'm on the board of Last Call. She didn't want me to be on the board. She said it was like too close. And I was like, no, I'm going to be. Um, and here she is. But yeah, uh, running the marathon for me was like a it's a way to honor Mike, make sure people don't forget him and raise a lot of money. Um, this, will, this will be my ninth year running and uh, will be my eighth year running for last call. And in the first seven years, I've raised like $265,000. I mean, there's nothing to love about a tragedy like this. Look, I'm getting all teary. Like what's going on? Um, but I feel like the fact that you were going to do this together it was what you guys were chatting about um, and that that's kind of how you carry his memory, but then also raise an incredible amount of money for the foundation is incredible. It just so it's so intertwined so amazingly well. And of course she's going to be on the board. There's no doubt about that. And that is, <laughs> that is right where you would want her for sure. For sure. Okay. I elbowed her way right in there. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I want to hear. Okay. So that's helpful. So Sarah, um, I just wanted to hear how you were connected. Okay. So the other thing that I wanted to mention is I work for, a company that is about products that toxic chemicals um, and how toxic chemicals, you know, in our, the environment and in pots and pans. And we talk about mattresses and furniture, um, you know, are absorbed into our skin and hormone disruption and cancer and all of those things. So it's interesting to me that that is coming up in conversation too, because I feel like I talk about that often at my my job. This is like my fun, but my job. Okay. So, um, where, so as you're building all of this, I mean, I can't even imagine 
the grief period, but then in a sense that it fired you both up in different ways. And then those ways came together, but started, how soon did you know, Kathy, that you wanted to start the foundation and really start putting all of the pieces in place? Well, Michael died in March, on March 26th. And um, when I tell you, I was surrounded, absolutely, and Sarah, you too, we were surrounded by people who just wanted to help in any possible way they could. Um, and close friends of mine are multi-talented. And actually, my stepson's mother, so this is a very strange extended family, and um, one of my very best friends sits on many boards. And, um, you know, I said to them sitting around, I, I really would like to capture all this love and good feeling because in Boston, firefighters uh, had a very contentious relationship with the administration, um, the city administration that, at the time. And um, so I, I really just wanted to take what was coming out then and, and give it to the firefighters. And um, I was able to do that with the help of all the people around me. Um, we and, and they became board members. And um, Elaine was our treasurer. Um, Christine got us an attorney. Uh, the attorneys volunteered. They got us a 501c3. I believe we had that Michael, uh, as I said, died in March, March 26th. And by May. Well, but it was six months later that we... We had our, our official opening yeah. six months to the day. But in May, we got the okay from the IRS. Yeah. And by the end of May, we actually had our 501c3 designation. Um, and then we began trying to shuffle around and figure out where could we do the most, the best. I, I originally wanted to deal with the architecture, like I said, the, the building literally was growing mold in the bunk room. And the way they handled that was to take this huge piece of plastic and cover the wall. And the guys were still sleeping in there. Now, I happen to know Mike, Michael was allergic to mold and he didn't sleep in the bunk room. He slept on the sofa, which the guys hated because he slept in his underwear. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, and he didn't care. I you think know? that Michael would enjoy all of his stories. He's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But um, when, when um, Commissioner Finn um, basically said, look, you're doing good work, you're raising um, substantial funds, we need um, something to clean the bunker gear because we know the contaminants on the bunker gear are causing cancer. And so at that time, we did not know that the chemical treatment of the bunker gear before they ever received it, brand new bunker, bunker gear, is toxic because of the treatment, but we didn't know that then. Then we were dealing with the products of combustion. So we outfitted Boston with 25 um, industrial washer um, for the stations. And then of course we had to, uh, we had to fund the um, retrofitting because almost every firehouse in the city of Boston is an antique. <laughs> and they didn't have the plumbing or the electrical service or what have you. And, and I mean, that's how bad it is. It's it's really bad. Um, and these these washers were expensive. They're like oh, five to fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah, the biggest one we bought was twenty two thousand dollars. And then we we supplemented that with 
food and, and uh, helmet cleaners. And then, and it just went on and on. And then we, we expanded outside of the city when we found out that all these cities and towns do the same thing. They don't properly fund the fire department. And when there's, whenever there's a cut, um, you know, nobody wants to cut schools, which I totally understand. You don't want to cut your schools, right? And that firefighters would be the first ones to tell you not to do that. Um, but they cut the fire departments. And so they cut the manpower. They cut the equipment. Um, we had one situation where um, a, a small town didn't have the funds to buy a compressor to fill their air tanks. So they had air tanks, but they had to in between runs, go to other towns and try to borrow to, to fill, um, you know, borrow their compressors and fill the tanks. So if there was a call and the tank was half empty, it was a toss up. Should I go or should I not? You know, it, it, it was terrible. So we began funding um, critical needs such as that. And then we began funding, we, we just expanded and we're pretty much into everything, all kinds of research. Um, Right now, we're funding a PTSD study at um, Mass General. We're funding um, a study having to do with um, ways to take current technology, it already exists, and apply it to the fire service. So, for instance, there is technology out there that if you're in a room that is black with smoke and you can't see your hand in front of you, there's technology to fix that so that you can see clear across the room, but it hasn't been applied to the fire service, which makes absolutely no sense. Um, and so we have um, a really good research team working on that. We have uh, a team working on trying to uh, find better locators. So currently um, they, are, have, they have a path system in Boston and the alarm will sound so that you'll know where a fallen firefighter is. The command outside does not know what floor they're on. They can hear the sound, but that's it. So there's also technology <laughs> that would that exists that would allow them to pinpoint exactly where that firefighter is. So we have to figure out how to incorporate that into their gear. And then in the meantime, we funded the confirmation study um, that found PFAS, PFOA, all of these fluorinated chemicals are what's treating um, the bunker gear. And it's toxic. It causes cancer. So their cancer rates are, when they go into a burning building, in a superheated situation, you absorb three to 400 times more than you do walking down the street on a hot summer day. And so this begins to explain the cancer rates. Now, recently, it was uncovered that the pediatric cancer rates of the children of firefighters is one in 204. I believe for the general public, it's uh, one in 10,000. So much going on here. And they've been lied to. I mean, they weren't even told these chemicals were there. And when it was uncovered, the, the manufacturers still lied and still fought it. And I, I mean, it's just disgusting what's being done to firefighters. And I have like a, an aha in the sense that I think that a lot of people would, if you ask them, they would say, 
absolutely firefighters um, put their lives at risk and are heroes. But I think that they 100% think it's because they're walking into a fire. It's not because of the uniforms that they wear or the hoses that they use or, and, you know, I was even thinking, Kathy, of you saying they can't pinpoint where the firefighter is. I, if I lost my phone right now, I could look at my laptop and I would know where my phone was in the house. It's mind blowing to me that there is the technology for all these things. So, so really what you're saying with all these things, one, obviously the last call foundation is amazing because it's helping in all the things that you're saying from research to studies with mass general to uncovering this information, even about the children of these firefighters is amazing, but it also feels super overwhelming. And as board members, like how do you choose where to start and what to do? That's the tough one. (laughs) I can't imagine those conversations. And then two, do you have relationships now? Because you said that when this first happened, um, and I'm not going to say it right, but the government, city, whatever, that there weren't um, the relationship to fix or to fund or to figure it out. Do you feel like the Last Call Foundation has the respect that they are partnering and listening? I'm not supposed to be political. (laughs) You know, it's hard to, there's only so much money and the money has to go to different places. And you're also bringing to light things that need more money. Well, so here's the thing, you you know, we don't have to raise taxes to fund fire departments. There are other ways to do this. There should be a, a, a lottery game specific to firefighters. It should be national. For God's sake, we raise tons of money in, in lottery. We should have one dedicated to the fire service. That's a simple, easy fix. We should be charging insurance companies. Um, think about it. Okay, what, who benefits after the victims of the fire have been saved, removed from the building? Who benefits by the work of the firefighters? It's the insurance companies. And they make billions of dollars for fire insurance and accident insurance, all of the things that firefighters are exposed to on a daily basis, saving them money. And the fact that they are not charged is criminal. it's, It's absolutely outrageous to me that they're able to build their business on the backs of these guys. And, you know, in Massachusetts, we're lucky because we have a presumptive law. In other states in this country, there is no presumptive law. You need to check your own. So if a firefighter gets cancer, he's just let go. And he has to deal with the catastrophe of no longer having health insurance and now being perhaps terminally ill and having nothing, no benefits left to his family. It happens every day all over this country, and it's a disgrace. I, I feel like I'm completely floored and all riled up. I had no idea, which is one of the things that we want, right? Is we want to bring awareness because it matters that more people understand and know to make change. Right. And, you know, all it is, I truly believe most people, particularly after 9-11, begin to open their eyes. 
firefighters are not the guys sitting there um, whistling at pretty girls walking by. They have to train. Mm. They have, it's a constant. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they have to train constantly. This is a profession. They are introduced never to never ending scenarios of, you know, how do we save this person or that person or climb this building or, or get into to this gully or, you know, it, it's, amazing what they have to go through. And um, I, I actually watched uh, a video of politicians <laughs> and it cracked me up. They were all dressed in bunker gear going into a training site where, um, you know, there was just smoke put in. It wasn't really fire. It was smoke and it was hot. Um, and when I tell you, not one of the people there <laughs> looking even remotely happy they were right. like, people do this job. <laughs> yeah, it, but that's what people need to do to understand. Yeah. In any event, so Last Call Foundation does what we can. We raise funds. I talk to anybody who, who calls or sends an email to ask about funding for this or that. If, if it's not something we can immediately deal with, I try and help them find grants elsewhere. Um, and we've had some success with that. The Boston Marathon is our biggest fundraiser, and we ask a lot of our runners. So, for instance, your dad is going to be training while raising money, and uh, their minimum commitment to us is $8,500. Now, that's a lot of money for an individual to raise. You know, um, but Although we, some people pledge more. Yes, they do. The last marathon, the only marathon that was ever run outside of April was on Michael's birthday last year. And Sarah pledged to raise $41,000 because Michael would have been 41 years old. And she, in fact, raised over $80,000, almost $81,000. So it can be done, clearly. It can. Okay, so proudest moment. When you think about Michael, what do you think when he looks at everything the Last Call Foundation has done? Do you have a moment that you feel, you know, the proudest or something you've done for the firefighters that you know he would clearly just be, you know, so I, I know he's probably just floored and proud of everything that you've done. But is there a moment that you're just so proud of when you think of everything you've done to date? Well, when we found a, um, uh, a, an answer to the fire hose. Um, I brought that to the cemetery and I, I left a piece of hose with him. And that was just my way of saying, look, we're going to make sure nobody else ever is stuck in a fire falling for water. It's just, it's all I can do. And by the time I die and get to heaven. I want to be able to look them in the eye and say, we did it. I love it. I can't even talk. <laughs> okay. So the Boston Marathon, I'm going to put the link um, to the Last, Last Call Foundation to donate. Um, thank you for everything that you're doing for firefighters everywhere. It's amazing. The fact that you have learned all of this information, it's, it really is change. It sounds like it's changing that industry. 
it, it's it, we're we're helping move it along. Small steps yeah. matter. Small steps. That's right. Matter and yeah. get to um, big things. And okay, so is there anything that you would love to say? Um, you know, this whole experience and really Michael in general. Is there anything that Michael? you know, um, inspirational that you could leave us with about Michael and his memory that really is carrying this, carrying this on. Michael was devastated um, in the months prior to his death. I believe it was in January. Um, one of his dear friends uh, in his firehouse was diagnosed with cancer prior to Christmas, but he didn't tell anybody until after Christmas. Um, he had brain cancer and um, he died very shortly after telling them that he was dead before the end of January. Michael was devastated. And I think the fact that we have raised awareness and worked with the departments and given them the tools that they need to go out and, and work themselves and understand what's going on and what they can do to mitigate their exposures and to fight and advocate for themselves. Because the other problem is the medical community treats them like everybody else. They're not like everybody else. They have these super exposures. They need tests far more often, far earlier than the average patient. And so we're teaching them to advocate for themselves. And I think Michael would be thrilled with that. I love that. Sarah, is there anything you want to say as we finish off? I was going to say the same thing about the hose. That's sadly why this all started a faulty hose, which unfortunately was a common thing. Um, so being very close to being able to manufacture hose that will not just help Boston area firefighters, that will help firefighters all over the world. Absolutely. Funding is going to be the trick. That's, that's where we have to really hammer it home. Every one of those hoses is worth every penny you pay for it. They're not disposable hoses. They're going to take you through the fire and you'll come out alive. Okay. I can't tell you how much I appreciate both of you jumping on tonight to just share this information. I feel like our listeners um, across the U.S., because we have some here, there, and everywhere, this is information that I don't think people know. And I think it matters for people to be aware, to understand, to see the bigger picture of the challenges and the hardships that the firefighters face on an everyday basis. And then even, even you know, being a firefighter over time and years, those percentages that of cancer um, and the, even the way that they're treated through treatment and losing their job, all of these things are things that I think we all need to understand and know. The Boston Marathon, I I will be there cheering you on, um, Sarah, for sure, and, and my dad. And um, <laughs> wait, I forgot. Kathy has been sleeping on a fun fact. Kathy, tell us the fun fact. I'm going to tell a fun fact because she's going to be modest. So, Kathy, last year, um, had someone run the marathon for us um, who actually ended up walking most of it. She knew going into it that that's what she was going to do. You're not really supposed to 
when you sign up for the Boston Marathon, you're supposed to be running it. You can't just go as a walker, but yeah. this person walked it pretty much the whole time. And Kathy was inspired by her last year and said, if this woman can walk it, I should be able to walk it. So this year, you won't just be cheering me on. You will be cheering Kathy on as she does her first Boston Marathon. Um, she will be walking a bunch of it, but she's going to do it. I love it. That's making me cry even more. Okay. So Kathy, <laughs> this is your year. I'm going to be looking for both that was a lot of people. <laughs> I'm going to be watching for both of you and my dad. This is you'll, amazing. You'll be waiting a little bit for Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> Kathy, you'll be, you'll be an easier early. one to spot. You might be an easier one yes. for me to spot. <laughs> Um, I'll be bringing up the rear. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I think that's so inspirational in itself. And I feel like um, I'm here to um, let people know about all this information, but also make people very aware of the Last Call Foundation and um, raising money to help you all with all the challenges and make a difference. So I appreciate everything. I appreciate you being on here. Thank you for sharing a little bit about Michael and his mischief and um, the person that led us all to this. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much to Kathy and Sarah for being with us today, bringing us education and awareness around this really important stuff. We really hope that it helps spread the word about a lot of the stuff that the public doesn't know about. If you'd like to find out more and how to help, I'll put the link down in the show notes. You can click there and check out their website. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. Please honor us with a five-star rating and a review anywhere you get your podcasts. You can find us on Instagram at Grand Rev Creative or Twitter at grass underscore podcast. Thanks so much to Asa Watkins for post-production. And if you'd like to become part of the Greener Grass community, click in the show notes and subscribe to our list. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. This is Greener Grass. Greener Grass.